This is a case from the iron flute. Linchi plants a pine tree. One day, as Linchi was planting a pine tree in the monastery garden, his master, Huang Po, happened along and said, We have good shrubbery around the monastery. Why do you add this tree? He asked. Well, there are two reasons, Linchi answered. First, to beautify the monastery with, with this evergreen, and second, to provide shade for future generations. Linchi then tamped the ground three times with his hoe to make the tree more secure. Your self-assertion does not agree with me, said Huang Po. Linchi ignored his teacher, murmuring, all done, all done and tamped the ground three times as before. Huang Po said, You will cause my teaching to remain in the world. Nyogen's Commentary Linji was symbolizing his Zen when he planted the tree by the monastery where he had received the Dharma, but he did not want anyone to notice it until he was old. His teacher knew his thoughts very well, but wished to examine him thoroughly, so spoke as if he were inspecting the garden at the monastery. Linji replied in kind with no reference to Zen. Zen should be preserved in this way. What can the teacher say except his words of appreciation? This coin collection, there are no verses. I think you're waiting for a verse. So Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. Remember when I first got here to this country, I was very impressed by the one single holiday that was not hijacked by our commercialism except for the day after. The holiday that is there for us to, to say thank you, to appreciate, to show our gratitude. How do we say thank you? What do we say thank you for? What is gratitude? What are our priorities? You know, as, as, as human beings, as a, as a country, we have to see it all. We have to examine the whole thing and see how we behave as a country. You know, a journalist was brutally murdered by a regime with which we have ties with. And apparently we're going to keep those ties because, as our president said, they give us lots of jobs and lots of business and a lot of economic development. That's a quote. What are our priorities? What does it mean about what we care about, what we are thankful for, 
we can't say, well, I think differently. No, we can't, but at the same time, we should not ignore the fact that this is what's going on. A regime that doesn't only eliminate or tries to eliminate people if, or for saying certain things, for inquiring or looking into specific things, for having different ideas and opinions. A regime that is, has created huge issues in, in, in other countries, in Yemen right now, what's happening is, is outrageous. If we are willing to bear witness, to read about it, to look at it, we can't even imagine the famine that's going on there while we are here having huge celebrations of and feasts, celebrating Thanksgiving. And at the same time, some European countries, I just read this morning, some European countries have taken steps to block future arms sales with the regime over the killing of uh, Khashoggi, also over, the, over what's happening in Yemen. So there are other ways, there is another way, other ways to, to behave, to be. Other ways to show priorities. And yes, they will lose money for that. But what's more important? Human beings or commodities? How do we view that? Well, in other words, what is our responsibility? What are our responsibilities? Last week I, I spoke a little bit about the issue of abdicating responsibility as practitioners and also about our default assumption that liberation will come from the outside. Whether it's a teacher, different aspects of practice, or even zazen. And in a way all of it is external to taking responsibility for breaking through by ourselves. Also for taking responsibility to experience the whole thing. The joy, the pain, the atrocities that are going on. To be responsible for bearing witness to all of it. And to awaken within what's happening rather than wait for another time where everybody will act in sane ways. It means to take it all in. So to take the responsibility to break through by our own efforts. You know, we are, we are directly connected to an ancient tradition it is linked by practitioners who have personally realized that the journey from bondage to liberation is most intimately personal. In other words, awakening is entirely within our reach. 
then if it is entirely within our reach, what's the point of a tradition? What's the point of following a path of others who have gone before us and are long dead? Right? We can see that as a waste of time, right? Especially when we look at what's happening in this world. Well, maybe we should get busy doing something else. And it's a fair question to ask. But how do we understand the practice? It's more important to ask. In the second dedication of our morning service, as we did this morning, the Eno chants few names of teachers from the lineage and then says, may we appreciate their benevolence and show our gratitude by accomplishing the enlightened way together. May we appreciate their kindness and express our gratitude by not abdicating our responsibility to awaken now. That's really what it means. It doesn't mean follow in someone else's footsteps or do what others have done for the sake of doing what others have done. to awaken now to this century, to this time, to the atrocities that are happening around us, to how we, as human beings, treat each other, treat our planet. And may we do that together as a Sangha. May we help, support, encourage each other to develop the courage to face the pain. And then through that, to break through what is binding us. Or maybe to ask, is it binding us? The awakening of the Buddha initiated uninterrupted chain of succession of human beings that awakened to the same realization, yet lived and died differently. Individually, also different times, different issues they had to deal with. There always have been issues to deal with. Our history is full of acts of stupidity. ways of, of creating a lot of suffering. Right? So to awaken to the same realization, yet to manifest it, or to live it, in a different way. Which means it's not about copying and doing. Do we understand it this way? Or would it, do we just go along with the program, do what we have to do, and either agree with it or resist it? Either say it's great, either we say it's great, or we say, I don't like it. So moment by moment, do I feel that? Do I feel that what is flowing in my blood or in my veins as the juices that are running through me 
are individually unique and at the same time the same. Now, Hafiz said that the river that flows in you also flows in me. And the river that flows in me has never stopped flowing, will never stop flowing. Do we see that? Do we see what's binding us? Or are we focused on what is creating differences. You know, what we refer to as their kindness includes their perseverance while personally struggling to awaken their realization and their devotion to carefully maintain the path for future generations like us, as we do now, today, here. Can we appreciate that? And do we understand that in order to appreciate that, to say thank you, we have to deal with our challenges, with what we think is hindering our awakening. It's the only way to say thank you. It's the only way to appreciate and it's the only way to keep that path alive. To keep it going for future generations. As in this koan, Nietzsche was planting a pine tree in the monastery. And his teacher, Wang Po, said, we have good shrubbery around the monastery. Why do you add this tree? And he said, well, two reasons. To beautify this monastery with this evergreen and then to provide shade for future generations. And at once, by planting a tree, both are achieved. Both are achieved because we are a link on an endless chain. And it's our responsibility to make sure that that chain doesn't break. One person says, we have good shrubbery around the monastery. Why do you add this tree? Why add a tree? Why do what we do? You know, it's, it's a living tradition, and, and by, by saying it's a living tradition, we mean that your everyday life, your everyday life, exactly as it is, is the life of the tradition. You know, if we don't understand it this way, that it is personal, it is intimate, what we call practice will very quickly become a burden, a heavy burden to walk around with, to maintain, to hold on to, and will inevitably fall apart. And I've seen it many times. One of the more common, most common reasons for people to abandon the practice has to do with not understanding how to practice correctly. 
or what the practice is about. Not understanding that our life itself is what we're practicing. And when we don't know how to practice correctly, we create extra efforts. You know, zazen is, is the practice of attention, period. It's the practice of attention. Pay attention. Look. Listen. Take the time to stop, to look, and to listen. Not just with your eyes and ears, but your whole body. To intimately dive into it without judging it, without waiting, without quantifying. To take it all in. To see what happens, to see where it goes. And the practice of attention is the practice of appreciation. Is it possible to appreciate without paying attention? Can we appreciate anything? I remember when we started this ango, <clears throat> I sent an email about the necessity or the importance of us understanding that our practice is our lives. So I want to read that again, in case we forgot. In this I wrote, right effort means to exert just the right amount of effort, and it can be understood as not too much and not too little. And it can be examined through Dogen's words, don't take it lightly, don't give it weight. In relation to traditional Zen practice, this means to fully embrace daily Zazen, liturgy, intensive training periods, and Buddhist studies, without getting caught up in the inner commentaries and judgments. In relation to everyday life, it means to examine how we think, speak, and act, and to identify the extra baggage we dump on circumstances and relationships. And we live and die within the ease of an endless and precious beauty and it's absolutely imperative for us as practitioners to examine how we burden it with a personal storyline that is governed by fears and insecurities. And to embrace and practice Zen correctly is to embrace and practice your life. Unless we understand that these two are essentially non-dual, we are wasting our time trying to look and sound like Zen practitioners. When we understand that it is this way, we can also understand that when we embrace the training period, such as Ango, we embrace all aspects of our lives. What I want to say is that it's a shame that we don't examine it deep enough, and when we don't examine it deep enough, Practice will fall apart, it does fall apart, because we don't understand what it is that we are committing to. And by saying, I'm not going to practice, it's as if we're saying, I am not going to examine my life. Or I'm not going to examine the mind. And when we don't examine the mind, what are our priorities? When we don't examine the mind, it may make perfect sense 
It may make perfect sense to say what this, what our administration is saying. It makes sense because a lot of people may lose a lot of money or jobs. So we can look the other way without looking at the consequences of what it means to look the other way when other people act in such ways. We let them do it because it benefits us. I'm sure they have reasons to do what they do. That's unexamined mind or minds. And all this comes down to how we maintain our own practice. It comes down to how we view the practice, how we view the hindrances and challenges when we examine. You know, the tendency may be to run away from what we need to examine because it's painful. This often comes up in Dokusan. Because when we examine, when we look and we stay with it, sooner or later we're going to encounter some level of pain, some resistance, some aversion. And the instruction is to keep going, to stay with it, to look at it, to relax into it. To not create a barrier out of that. What we see as a hindrance or hindrances is exactly what we need to go into. Because if we don't do that, we actually hold on to the belief that it is, in fact, hindering us. It is preventing us from going deeper, and we back away. Dogen said, the concentrated endeavor of the way allows all things to come forth in realization to practice going beyond, in the path of letting go. Passing through the barrier of dualism and dropping off limitation in this way, how could you be hindered by nodes in bamboo or knots in wood? And what he's saying is, how can you be held back by your thoughts, opinions, emotions, sense of self? How could you be held back by everyday circumstances? And he's not saying that everyday life, along with our personal storyline, do not feel like a barrier. Of course it does. It feels like a barrier. But is it? I think that much we know. The fact that it does feel like a barrier. What he's asking us to do is to go beyond what we think is a barrier and to open our hearts to what binds us all together. It means to lift ourselves above the petty little sense of self. So we can deeply appreciate everything and everybody 
It means to raise the, the body-mind that's there. In, even in the midst of insanity or insane behavior, the body-mind is there. It's just not raised. It's pushed aside, actually. And this is what we do. This is what the practice is about, to raise the body-mind. We bow, we put our forehead on the ground, we lift our hands above the little self, above everything I know to be true, everything I know to be me. We raise the body-mind above that so we can maybe function a little bit better from the body-mind rather than from the little self. To get beyond the little self that sees divisions, that has the need to fight, to argue, to get ahead. When we raise above that, we realize there is no one to get ahead of. Nothing to win, nothing to lose. But we do it over and over and over and over again because it is very strong. It is very powerful. So we raise it over that and get in touch. Now, the issue with being held back is that we, we become self-centered and we become self-centered, we're unable to see beyond. And of course, because it makes sense. And it's a shame because we're unable to see the preciousness of all things. And again, when we cannot see the preciousness, we can't be thankful, we can't show our gratitude. And what Dogen is saying, or maybe reminding us, is that in the vast and wide space, which we are in essence, knots in wood do not have the capacity to hold you back. When it comes down to how we face our challenges, We can either contract or shut down, or shut the world out in the face of challenges, or we can expand and be grateful for those challenges that come our way. Be grateful for all of it. It's not usually what we see as a time to say thank you. We focus on thanking the blessings, as we say, right? And the blessings are things we like, things that are considered good. But can we be thankful for everything? Including the pain. 
And if we don't, what are we rejecting? Undifferentiated appreciation. Right? To appreciate everything. And to practice that. I mean, this is really the, the crux of our practice is a practice of appreciation. We pay attention so we can appreciate every breath, every sight, every sound, every person, every occurrence, beyond likes and dislikes. To appreciate being alive for it, to be there. in a non-judgmental way to accept it all. Dogen wrote uh, instructions to the cook, a manual for, for a cook, for the Tenzo. I'd like to read a little bit from it because it's very relevant to what we're talking about and what we're practicing in everyday life. And the tenzo, as you, some of you know, the tenzo, the cook position usually was given to a seasoned practitioner because there's a lot of caring, there's a lot of nurturing, nur nourish, giving nourishment to others at that position. So in that, Dogen said, when washing rice, preparing vegetables, and so on, do not do so with your own hands, with close attention, vigorous exertion, and a sincere mind. Do not indulge in a single moment of carelessness or laziness. Now, listen to this in a different way. Do not listen to this while picturing yourself in the kitchen cooking a meal. Listen to this seeing yourself living your life moment by moment and addressing every moment of your life in such a way. Because this is what we do. We, we cook our lives with the ingredients that we have, not with the ones we want. Can we take on all those ingredients and then create a life and appreciate all of it as is? Or do we reject based on the way we feel about it? So he says, with vigorous exertion and sincere mind, do not indulge in a single moment of carelessness or laziness. Do not allow attentiveness to one thing result in overlooking another. Do not yield a single drop in the ocean of merit. Even a mountain of good karma can be augmented by a single, sorry, single particle of dust. Which means that even if we have good karma or created good karma, it can take a different direction if we are careless, if we are not paying attention, if we develop laziness in our being. It means basically not to take anything for granted. 
The rules of purity say when preparing meals, one should reflect intimately on one's own self. The food will then of itself be pure and refined. Which means if we pay attention to our practice, to our zazen, moment by moment, breath by breath, then what, will, what we do, what we touch, will be an extension of that. How we move, how we interact with each other, will be expression of the body-mind. When ordinarily preparing ingredients, do not regard them with ordinary or deluded eyes, or think of them with ordinary emotions. How relevant is that? Right? Do not look at the ingredients of your life with deluded eyes, or think of them with ordinary emotions. And we do that. We paint what we see, what we encounter with our emotions, with our thoughts. And then we react to what we create. How can we see equality like this? Lifting a single blade of grass builds a shrine, he says. Entering a single mote of dust turns the great wheel of the Dharma. Even when, for example, one makes a soup of the crudest greens, the crudest greens, one should not give rise to a mind that loads it or takes it lightly. And even when one makes soup of the finest cream, one should not give rise to the mind that feels glad and rejoices in it. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Do not elevate anything in relation to anything else. If one is at the outset free of pre from preferences, how could one have any aversions? Even when confronted with poor ingredients, with life. He's not talking about only about kitchen. When confronted with poor ingredients, there is no negligence whatsoever. Even when faced with scanty ingredients, one exert oneself. Do not change your mind in accordance with things. That's to be equanimous. That's to take it all in. Highs, the lows, the joy, the pain, the suffering. It means to appreciate everything as is. And to learn how to work with it. It says, whoever changes his mind in accordance with things or revises his words to suit the person he is speaking to is not a person of the way. You should think that even the crude greens can nourish the sacred embryo and nurture the sprouts of the way. Of course they do. 
What is the sacred embryo? The practice. The Buddha mind, the body mind. Which is there. Which does not differentiate between what we think is great and what we think is not. which sees everything as precious. It says, do not regard them as base, do not take them lightly. A teacher of humans and divas is able to regard crude greens as things that convert and benefit beings. And we have to first convert and change the one here the one who is sitting and looking and listening and interacting and judging and comparing. And this is what we are here to practice and this is what we're here to pass on to future generations. By practicing it, we are thankful and by actualizing it, we pass it on. He tempted, Lynch tempted the ground three times with his hoe to make the tree more secure. He paid attention to how he plants, how secure it is, how solid it is, how solid his practice is. And the teacher comes along and says, your self-assertion does not agree with me. But, one, but then Lynch ignored him. All done. Tempt the ground again three times. And after that, Wangpo said, you will cause my teaching to remain in the world. This means to, to keep caring for the Dharma even if, or caring for the practice, even if we feel aversion, even if others criticize or judge or belittle It means to have the guts to care deeply, even if you're the last one on this planet that has the guts to care. In an undifferentiated way. And it takes courage to care. That's why he said, you will cause my teaching to remain in the world. Because you're able to do what you need to do regardless of whether or not I approve of you as your teacher. Because you know to listen to what I listen to. To what we all need to listen to. Because you know what to obey. And that's why in Yoga and Senzaki said, Lyncher replied in kind with no reference to Zen. You know, and then he said, Zen should be preserved in this way. You know, we chant, right? We chant together. <clears throat> as we seek protection and guidance, let us recognize and offer ourselves as caretakers as the one who deeply care. 
Let us recognize ourselves as the child without food, the family without home, refugee driven from native land. Do we do that? And if we do that, then how can we separate children from their parents? We do that too. Because we don't see ourselves as refugee without a land. To feel the pain, to feel the suffering. And not to put a wall and separate. I'm not hearing it, I'm not seeing it. It doesn't affect me. It does. Deeply. Even if we don't practice, it does. Let's appreciate the myriad forms which, which we share this wondrous existence. All of it. From weed to rainforest, infinite sky, clouds, wind, sun, moon, endless galaxies. Let us care for the sacred elements. Let us care for this planet. We may have very little window of opportunity to change that, to change the course. of this planet, of our destruction. To deeply appreciate, to deeply care for all creation. You know, Rumi said there are a thousand ways to kneel down and kiss the ground. A thousand ways to be deeply appreciative. And then to do it together, really, to support each other, to have a Sangha. You know, to... I don't know that we even stop and think about it, but the fact that we have encountered the Dharma, that's huge. The fact that we are practicing. That we find it in us, we find something in us that actually is drawn to practice. It says a lot. It says a lot about what we have done before this lifetime or previous existences. It says a lot about what we choose to do. But that's just first step. Right? So it's important to appreciate that, to recognize that and appreciate that. But then to, to maintain the responsibility to awaken moment by moment without pressure, without being uptight about it, just perseverance. So to be grateful, as Rumi said, to be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond.